This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am very excited to check back in with everybody as, as we've had a little bit of time off for me here. I, I had a weird travel day yesterday, had a flight that was canceled, so wanted to take a little bit of time, and, and there wasn't anything major that I had to cover yesterday, uh, but we still have a lot of time to fill, I think. There, there's still a fair amount to discuss in between now and when the actual NBA Finals start on June 1st. Uh, it's 10 days from now. I, I hope that people are not, not 10 days. It's, it's uh, eight days from now. Full want people to fully appreciate what's going to happen in between now and then. But uh, it has been a, an interesting time trying to plan and, and game plan for the rest of these podcasts that are going to come up here. But I have a plan. I have a lot that we're going to be able to discuss in between now and when the finals start, whether it's against Miami, most likely, or if it's against Boston, if they make the unlikely comeback, but should be very interesting. Uh, The ABC shoulder programming should just be swiping, yelling at Windhorst. I love that. I think that sounds like a great idea. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot here. There, there's a lot here. There's, there's a lot of content that we're going to have to fill that we're going to be able to talk about. But there's also like, look, Nuggets fans should get the time to celebrate this. Nuggets fans should absolutely have the opportunity to talk about all of this stuff and then make sure uh, to take their time with it. And I know that Nuggets fans are mostly just chomping at the bit in order to be able to like go win a finals if, if that is what is possible. But I think that it's okay. I think it's okay to be able to take some time. Uh, a little bit of programming notes before we get started here. Uh, tomorrow's podcast will be after the Miami-Boston Game 5. Uh, we'll react to that. If Miami does end up winning, then we'll obviously be able to get some intro thoughts on the actual heat and, and what, what to expect from them. Next, uh, and then if, if Boston wins, then we get to talk about that. and That should be interesting, but... Friday, Jenna Garcia will be coming on the show, I believe. Should be very fun to be able to talk to her about Mello and some other folks and maybe some more talk about the heat. Saturday, we're going to do weekends with Swipe, but that'll be Saturday, kind of morning-ish. 
Uh, but there's plenty of time to do that. And then we will have a Denvengers separately from that over the course of the next week. So should have a lot of time to be able to talk about all of this stuff and then make sure to cover this from every single angle. But I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much, everybody, for hopping in on the show. Really appreciate it, as always. But now let's get into the bulk of this. Uh, we're going to talk about underrated to unbeatable. Uh, that's a that's an aspect of this that I want to discuss a little bit and why I knew that they were a special team and why I didn't why I wasn't really concerned about the March stretch or anything like that. We'll get into that in just a little bit here, but first. I do want to go over the Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray duo. I think that that is like it's something that everybody's now talking about. It's something that everybody's now discussing. I want to take a victory lap on this because after the 2019 playoffs and after Jamal Murray signed a max contract at that point, a rookie max, I wrote an article for Denver Stiffs that was not well received. That was... I think I think a lot of people were questioning why I wrote the article, and we can we can uh, link to this if if necessary in in the comments down below. But the article was basically titled "The Nuggets Are Betting on Jamal Murray to Be the Next Kobe Bryant or to Be Their Next Kobe Bryant." And the reason why I wrote about it from that perspective, anyway, is because Jamal, up until that point, as young as he was, as successful as he was in the playoffs. He reminded me of the way Kobe kind of came up, where very young player, but showing up from a young age and maybe not having the, the same like chutzpah and, and the same immediate success that a young guy like Kobe had. And he was playing in a larger market, obviously, with L.A. And probably just, I mean, he's just turned into a different player. There's, there's no doubt about that. Like, Kobe's an all-time great. Jamal's still trying to get to that point and may not get to that point. But I wrote about it from the perspective of duos. I wrote about it from the perspective of, hey, I think that Denver's making a bet on this guy right here to say that, hey, we think that he can be this guy. We think that he can be maybe a Robin to the Batman that Jokic was or maybe kind of co-stars where you, you don't necessarily believe one way or the other, like who's actually who. And I think that everybody thought, okay, Jokic – Pretty similar to Shaq in terms of, hey, you, you believe in a, in a young star like that to continue to grow. Maybe not have the same full-on impact. I didn't think that Murray would have the same full-on impact that a guy like Kobe Bryant had. But that was the bet that I was talking about. That Denver, the reason why they extended the max contract to Jamal Murray was so that they could have a duo. A star duo that they could build around like a Shaq and Kobe. And now we're getting all these conversations after they've grown and they're in their primes and, and both of these guys are now at the peak of their powers, and you start to look back on it and think, you might be right. You might actually be onto something. And it's kind of cool uh, to have called my shot like that and to be able to talk about it from that perspective uh, because you, you look at some of the numbers that these guys are putting up this year. You start with Jokic. 38.9 minutes, 29.9 points. Nearly 30. He'll probably get up over 30. 13.3 rebounds, 10.3 assists, 1.1 steals on 53.8, 47.4, 78.4 shooting splits. That's fifty, basically 54% from the field, 47% from three, and 78 from the line. What Jokic is putting up right now is absurd. It is 
one of the greatest playoff runs we have ever seen, statistically. And I don't think we've seen like anything to kind of separate the statistics from the impact or the statistics from the like what this actually means. I know that that's what a lot of people like to do with Jokic is they like to set the they like to separate the actual numbers from what is the perceived impact of the player. And you can't really do that with Jokic because he takes up so many possessions and is involved in everything the Nuggets do that the numbers do reflect that. They absolutely do. Like he has played to the level of these numbers and these numbers are sick. They're absolutely gross and it's been really really cool to see. Jokic is on pace for the following numbers below if Denver plays five finals games. It's 600 points, 265 rebounds, and 205 assists. If Denver were to play five games, they might play more than they might play less. Uh, If he's able to put up those numbers, uh, 500, 200, 200 has never been done before in a playoffs. It's never, ever. Like nobody has ever put up that level of impact. Now, some guys have crossed two of those thresholds. Some guys have crossed one of those thresholds. Like putting up 600 points isn't the craziest number of points. Although I think the NBA lead in points is about 750. So Jokic isn't really close to that. But he's, he doesn't have to be because he's got Murray. Uh, but 265 rebounds, 205 assists to go along with it is crazy. And so the actual impact in those box score numbers is pretty insane. And you see the individual highs that he's had this these playoffs of 53 points, 21 rebounds, 17 assists. And like those are unbelievable numbers. And having a player that can go up in either of those categories and basically do whatever the team needs at that given point is such an important skill. It really is because it allows Jokic to focus on different things where he can be impactful. What I've talked about before on this podcast is that when when Jokic really wants a game, when he really believes that a game needs to be won, and he wants to have a significant individual impact there, he always focuses on his rebounding first. It's never the scoring, it's never the passing, it is the rebounding. And he's had plenty of games, like he's he's not leading the NBA in rebounding in the playoffs, but he's damn well close. And the fact that he can do that while also shouldering a scoring and playmaking load is really, really impressive. But the 53 points was crazy. The 17 assists are like that just tells an entire story here. Like his ability to have an impact as both a scorer and a playmaker. There are very few players in NBA history that could reach either of those thresholds. It's even fewer that can actually reach both. You don't have to do it at the same time. But to have 53 points in one game and 17 assists in another is nuts. Add in the 21 rebounds and it's just crazy. Positive plus minus in 14 of the 15 playoff games as well. Like So these numbers are bearing out in the plus minuses too. Like Denver's winning the minutes when he's on the court. Now go to Jamal. And you saw the numbers that I just put up there for Jokic. Like for Jamal, it's 39 minutes, nearly 28 points a game, 6 assists, Five and a half rebounds, 1.7 steals. He's actually, he's really close, I think, to leading the NBA in steals right now, which is, that's cool. Uh, 48% from the field, 39.8 from three, nearly 40% uh, went down after the 0 for 4 in game four of this last round, or yeah, of this last game. 
and then 92 and a half from the free throw line. That's how you know that he's fully back and how he's fully engaged and just isn't rattled or shaken by this moment at all. He's been making every single free throw. And that's a, a massive, massive aspect of this. He is also positive in 13 of the 15 playoff games in terms of his plus minus. And that's with Denver staggering a lot of those guys' minutes. And that's how you know that Denver's been able to kind of put together a well-rounded roster where they've been able to survive those non-Jokic minutes in ways that they hadn't before. Murray has been a big part of that, though. His usage goes up in those moments, and he really takes on the burden, even as a post-scorer, even as an isolation scorer, of just getting Denver across the finish line in those moments, and he's really risen to the occasion there. And he's averaging a higher points per game on just slightly lower efficiency than, than in the bubble, which that should that should be really, really exciting for just about everybody. Uh, super, super cool to be able to see both of those guys playing at the level that they are. And this question has been asked in a lot of different podcasts that I've listened to over the course of these last couple of days. When people think about duos, when people think about the individual impact that these players have, like you could probably come up with, like I think Shaq and Kobe individually, they probably have more impact than Jokic and Murray. But when you talk about how you impact the team, when you talk about how you impact the entire ethos of a group, I think that Jokic and Murray have as much of an impact as anybody outside of like Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan, or I don't know, like like name your duo. In the comments, I'd love to hear like which duos you actually think are better historically. But I don't think that any current duo is better. I don't think you could say that about anybody. With LeBron and AD, a lot of it is your turn, my turn, where they're playing a lot of isolation games. They do run, pick, and roll with each other. But Denver's ability to shut off one guy's water or the other really showed. And the Lakers couldn't do that with either Jokic or Murray in, in this last playoff series. And then which other duos would you really take? Are you talking Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum? Are you talking James Harden and Joel Embiid? Who else is there? Uh, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, are you kidding me? No. Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, I thought previously could really challenge for that, but Denver really shut that down. And maybe that is what the difference is between role players and and not having great role players is. And, And maybe that's where... Denver's duo gets a little bit of an advantage where those guys, uh, like I think Booker and KD would be a great duo and will continue to be a great duo together if they have players that fit around them a little bit better. But I do think that the time that Denver's had together with Murray and Jokic, it really shows the uh, the confidence levels, the unbelievable amount of telepathy that's going on between those two how they can read the game off of each other and not step on each other's toes no matter what. And that's a really, really cool feature. And and both of those guys are happy for the other guy's success. And that's not to say that with other teams it's different, but oftentimes when you have a duo, you will have one guy clearly above the other in the pecking order. And with Jokic, it's just a little bit different than that. Jokic is the better player. Jamal knows that. Like Jamal's not going to... Like he, he doesn't step on, on Jokic's toes when Jokic decides he needs to be the player in a situation. Like he'll get him the ball. But it is super interesting to think about 
how often Murray has been able to step up into that moment. And Jokic has not only like allowed it to happen, but also ushered it to happen. He's wanted it to happen. That has been something that's given him energy. And because he knows how important it is to Jamal and he wants that for him. Like it was interesting to me that when Jokic was asked post-game after game four, who was he happiest for? It was for Jamal. And Jamal with the 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 stuff that he's had to come back from, how he's had to fight, scratch and claw his way back into being healthy. And Jokic wants that success for him and wants that vindication for him just just about as much as anybody. And that's a really, really cool thing. I don't know, like I said, I don't know if there's a historic duo that's better. Like, there probably are. Like, you could say Stockton and Malone. I'm seeing that in the comments here. Uh, you could see, like, LeBron and Wade, a good, good one from Hurricane for sure. Duncan and Parker, probably not as, like, like I, I understand why Duncan and Parker comes up. I do think that Jamal Murray is a better player than Tony Parker. Like, I, I do believe that. And that might be the recency bias or, or even just the player bias talking here, but I think that Murray's a better guy. Now, and, and maybe, maybe Tim is a better player than, than Jokic, and maybe that's kind of where it's made up from. But I don't know. Like the, the synergy that those guys have on both ends of the floor is just really, really important. And like there, there is something to it, though. though. Like you, could, you could definitely make an argument for Tim Duncan and Tony Parker. And I do think that there is something to be said for a duo like that where, yeah, there's one guy who's clearly better, but their synergy together really, really works. And it really allows that kind of thing to shine. So I love it. I think it's great to have. And it's part of why Denver has the success that they've had. It's part of why they're underrated and why they have been underrated for so long is because they know who they are. And it may not be sexy, but it is like it's just it's a thing that's constant with them that they can always rely upon that, you know, is going to give them life. And that has really shown up in these playoffs in a big, big way. And it's very cool. It is very, very cool to see them show up in this moment. Denver's needed it. The Nuggets have needed it. The Nuggets fans have needed it. If they didn't get this from Yoke Chin Murray, then you're not even close to a championship. Like, you're just not. Even if you have great role players, you need everybody to step up in that regard. There's no doubt in my mind. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about regular season moments and, and the moment, the singular moment that I knew that this Nuggets team was going to be special. Uh, and then there are other ones where it just kind of reinforces that. But first, this podcast, as you know, it's brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Bring that big bet energy this summer with Superbook. They're the most trusted name in sports betting. And right now you can use promo code MA, uh, Mile High, excuse me, promo code Mile High to score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, they will match your first bet up to $250 with promo code Mile High. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions or download the Superbook Colorado app in app stores and you'll get $250 courtesy of Superbook Sports as long as you use that promo code. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll.
more about Pickaxe and Roll Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. As always, if you're listening, make sure to give this a like. Give this a like on the YouTube side. Help share it out. Makes it a lot easier to continue to promo and continue to uh, to show up in a big way on, on the YouTube side of things. So thank you so much for doing that if you do. All right. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about regular season moments. And I know that everybody, like, there, there's – some folks that just want to talk about the finals well, don't even know who they're going to play. I assume they're going to play the Miami Heat. I assume we'll, we'll have plenty to discuss from that. But we just talked about the playoff run that Jokic and Murray are on. Now we're going to talk about some regular season moments. And I want to kind of go back through some of these because I do think it's important to revisit it just a little bit. I've got seven moments, and most of them are concentrated in between December and February. Uh, because that's when Denver was at their best. That's when they really showed up for everybody to see it. And I think that it's important for people to realize that this was this was here all along. Now, I, I got a sense back in training camp that this was a group that I believed that they had something major here. That And they showed that in training camp. They showed that consistency and, and willingness to do things. And, and like they talked a big talk. And so you're you're hoping that uh, that really translates, but you can't really know until you see it. And I didn't see it with this group through October or through November. They had some moments. Like, it wasn't like, like they had some, some moments. It wasn't anything special. And it wasn't until December when you first started to really see it. But one thing happened in December that I think stands above all the others. Denver went on a three-game losing streak. Uh, back to back to back, they lost to Atlanta, they lost to New Orleans, and they lost to Dallas. Two of those those first two games were on the road. One of those games was at home. And that three-game losing streak, you could see it fraying a little bit. You could see everybody getting a little bit more irritated with the losing. Everybody was not happy with the way things were going, just kind of going through the motions and Denver at that point, after that December 6th loss, they had to make a decision on, on what kind of team they wanted to be. And they were going on the road in the next game. They were going to Portland. And I went on that trip. I went and traveled early morning, December 8th, got to that arena, uh, Moda Center, pouring rain, pouring rain for, for most of that day. And I walked in there. I got to sit down with Jamal Murray. And I wrote a feature on Jamal before that game. And it turned out to be a pretty big deal. Uh, there are a lot of people that really like that. There are a lot of people that like the inside scoop on, on where Jamal's mind was at when he was struggling. Denver at that point was 14 and 10. And they had gone through 24 games. And then that game winner happens. You break that three-game losing streak. Denver didn't really know what to do with Jamal up until that point. They're just kind of in kind of coasting mode, waiting for him to get back to the place where he needed to be. And he fought through it, didn't have a good game for most of that night, but then ultimately came alive in the fourth quarter and Denver trusted him to take them home. And he hit that game winner over the top of Jeremy Grant. And you could see, you could palpably see the actual level of relief in the team. 
I went into the locker room that night and it was buzzing. Everybody was so happy. There was a lot of smiles. There was a lot of laughter. There was a lot of joy. Uh, everybody taking uh, taking in what was a great moment for Jamal, but also a great moment for the team where I think everybody was hoping that that moment would come a little bit sooner, but that they had to kind of wait for it a little bit was important. They needed to know that it was there, though. And when it ultimately showed up, when he ultimately hit that shot, I think that that was a really palpable moment for this team where they they remembered, okay, this is what we have. This is what the vision is supposed to be. Jokic is that dude, but Murray can be that dude too. And you needed both in order to win. And Denver got that on that night. And that really, I think, turned the tide for the rest of the season. Uh, it's a great, great thing. And that that started like a, a three-game winning streak. And then they had a nine-game winning streak after that. And Denver really started rolling at that point. And that was a that was a great piece of it. A couple weeks later, though, without Jokic or no, without uh, Murray or MPJ, Denver faced the Memphis Grizzlies. And they started Christian Brown. They started Bruce Brown. They played KCP, Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic next to those guys. And they had this massively successful defensive lineup that they went to for the first time. And it allowed 91 points against the Memphis Grizzlies, a team that had been playing great offense, getting out of the open court, being successful. Memphis at that point, I think, was the number one team or pretty close to it. And that was the difference between those two. Denver had a gear that they could reach defensively at various points. It wasn't always going to be perfect defense. And it came without Murray and Porter, who are probably two of the weakest defenders in the lineup. But it was still at least a a visceral thing. They're like, okay, this team has some defensive capability there, and they could do it in the bright lights. That was a, an ESPN game, if I recall. And that was a that was a big, big moment for this team. They got to show it on national TV, and that was actually the night that Jokic put the ball through his legs to assist Bruce Brown. I think he had 13 points, 13 rebounds, and 13 assists that night, if I'm not mistaken. And that was a that was a big, big win for Denver. That was that was really cool. Five days later, they play the Christmas Day game against the Phoenix Suns. Everybody's healthy for that one. Everybody, everybody does it. Actually, you're, Cosmics, you're right. It was TNT. I do remember Kevin Harlan's uh, his call. What did we just see there? Uh, was a was a very good call for uh, that game. Uh, but yeah, the Christmas Day game for the Suns was a, a big one as well. Even though Devin Booker only played four minutes in that game, Denver still had to show up in that moment. It felt like the first big game of the season, and and other like those games before is what it is, but Denver, for the first time, got their showcase game on Christmas night after missing it the previous year, and it was great to see. Uh, Murray showed up in the fourth quarter of that game. Michael Porter had some moments. Jokic dominated DeAndre Ayton with 41 points, 15 rebounds, and 15 assists, and Denver won that game in OT with that Aaron Gordon dunk, and that was one of the best moments of the season. It's one of the most impactful moments of the season for Denver. And it, it's it'll stand the test of time. It's one of the best dunks in game in the NBA. And that was such a really, really impressive moment for him. 
And it, it stands out to me as one of those moments where, yeah, Denver Denver showed a, a team that had had their number before. Yeah, we got this. We, we definitely got this. And that's a, that's a really, really important piece of this. Denver hadn't really had success against the Suns. The last time the Suns had came into the building, they scored like 140 points against Denver the previous season, at the end of the previous year. And so it was good that they could at least keep pace. Like they won against the Suns. They won an OT. Yes, it wasn't the perfect circumstance, but uh, they still did it. They still got it done. January 5th. Remember when the Nuggets sent the Clippers home early? (laughs) Remember when the Clippers decided that they were going to get 30-pieced in the first quarter of a game? That was cool. That was a pretty cool game. Uh, It was like 40-10 to or something. or It was like maybe 46-16 or something like that after the first quarter. And the Clippers just... They were getting, they were down by 40 or something at that point uh, going into halftime. And then they decided, yeah, enough is enough. We are not going to play our starters for the rest of this game because they had a back-to-back and then decided to sit Paul George and Kawhi Leonard anyway for that game. Uh, But I do remember the Clippers having to sit their starters at at, at halftime of that game because they were getting blitzed so badly. It was a nice, healthy reminder that the Nuggets have always had the Clippers number with Jokic and Murray out there, and there is no reason for the Clippers to even show up in those moments. And they they proved that. Like ad nauseum. They proved it so much. And that was a that was a great, great moment. Uh more games against the Clippers. Uh but actually this one was Clippers and Pacers. This was the first time that I could remember Denver actually having success without Nikola Jokic, was these two games. The Clippers game, where they go into L.A., they travel into L.A. and make a statement. They won that game with their defense. I think it was like 113-102 or something like that. Maybe 115-102. And close the game with Zeke Naji at center. Murray and Porter got their shots off. They were successful in that in that situation. Uh, Aaron Gordon, very good defense against Kawhi. Uh, the Clippers just didn't have anything. They couldn't really go. And it was nice to see Murray and Porter step up in that moment and carry Denver offensively. Uh, there were some great plays from Porter, especially in that game where he showed up. And then in the Pacers game, Jamal Murray had a triple-double that night. Now, he was his first one of his career. Uh, he, he also made a funny comment that, yeah, the only reason it doesn't get more is that Jokic steals all his rebounds. And that that's always good nature because it's it's not really true because Jokic is one of the best rebounders in the league, but and he should get those rebounds. But it is pretty funny. Um, but no, it's, it was really nice to be able to see Denver step up in those moments. And that that Pacers game, if I'm not mistaken, that led to the back to back to back dunks uh, that blew the doors off of Ball Arena, and that was just a, a really really important moment as well. February 26th, remember beating the Clippers in OT? Uh, And Kawhi and and Nikola Jokic just went back and forth in that game where neither team could really get a stop on the other. They couldn't. It just just could not happen. Uh, The Clippers, for the first time, showed up in Denver and, and really made Denver work for it. 
But ultimately in that game, Jokic outshined Kawhi. He was the one who kept going in that situation. I don't remember his exact numbers, but it, it may have been like 40, something like that. Maybe it, was, maybe it was less than that, but it felt like it. And in that game, Michael Porter had some big moments as a shooter. Jamal Murray had some big moments. Uh, KCP had some big moments. Uh, I remember the one play I'm thinking of from that one in the fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken, was where Murray loses the ball into the backcourt with the shot clock winding down. And he just needs to get the ball up on the rim. And he throws up the ball from half court. Ball bounces off the rim. It careens off the rim. KCP hustles up the rebound, gets the ball to uh, Murray or Jokic, one of the two, who swings it to MPJ and absolutely cans a big-time three. Uh, comments are telling me that that was a 40-17-10 game from Nikola Jokic in that that OT game versus the Clippers, which that's a that's a big one. Uh, very, very good time. Um, also, yeah, that was the Bones Highland return game after the trade deadline. That was a big, big deal. And those are just big moments. And it was part of the culture. It was part of Denver needed to have everybody pulling the same direction. And to see Bones Highland in that situation, airballing some shots in the corner, uh, trying to prove to the Nuggets the heat that they they would miss him when he's gone. There was a lot of that. And Denver just played. They just played their game. And <laughs> Murray had, had zero qualms with going right at Bones, and, and neither did the rest of the Nuggets, going right at Bones and, and showing him that this was the place that he was going to miss. And it is it is too bad. It is definitely too bad. Uh, but unfortunately, like for, for Bones, that's that's just – what this was like. That's just how this was going to be. And Denver makes Denver gets that big win. And then they have one more big win on the season. And that's it. That's the only the only other game I needed to see. They ended the race versus the Memphis Grizzlies on March 3rd, effectively ending the Grizzlies season on March 3rd, or at least the night of March 4th. Um, this was a big one because Denver. They were struggling in that one for the most for most of the time. Murray was struggling as a shooter. And then Dylan Brooks got into his ear and started getting him going a little bit. And Murray just goes off from that point on, and especially in the fourth quarter, really takes over. And the Grizzlies just couldn't score. They couldn't score on Denver. They had nothing. They had nothing for them. And it was really cool to see Denver step up in that moment, second time uh, that they had to in Memphis, uh, really, really performed well, and uh, Denver stepped up in a big, big time moment there. It's good stuff. It's really good stuff, and that that was that was all I needed to see. Those were the only moments that I needed to see from Denver, where they needed to show that they had a the talent uh, to be a title contender, b the mentality to be a title contender, and c the spine. They had to show some will. They had to show some actual like chutzpah. When things weren't going well, when things aren't perfect, you need to know that the guys next to you have your back. And it was really, really important for Denver to go through those moments and then to see, hey, things aren't going well. Who are you as a team? What are you going to be? And Denver showed up in December, February, uh, December, January, February, basically, 
It was like, yeah, this is who we are. This is actually who we are. And the rest of the time, doesn't really matter. They got their feet wet, got used to everybody in October and November. December rolls around and they take off. And then when they basically clinch the one seed in March, they're like, cool, we're good. And then they shut it down after that. And I remember telling people that, look, this stuff does not matter with them struggling at that point. It doesn't matter. Now, does it feel good? No. Does it feel good? Does it give you a little bit of pause? Sure. But it doesn't change who you believe they are. It didn't change who I believed that they were either. And I think I listened to too much of the outside noise when having at least a little bit of concern there because it felt, absolutely felt like Denver was real. And it's cool to think back on those moments during the regular season and to be able to see it because it was real. It absolutely was. And I'm just glad that we're able to uh, are able to see it, for sure. All right. Tell you what, folks, let's take another break. When we come back, we are going to discuss uh, what are we going to discuss? We're going to discuss Michael Malone, who I don't think that gets enough credit for his actual role in things, but deserves a ton of it for sure. We'll be right back. But first, are you looking to add a new sports talk show to your daily mix? Then be sure to check out Afternoon Drive on Mile High Sports Radio with Anil Apiro and Cody Rourke each and every weekday from 4 to 6 p.m. AP and Rourke bring a fresh perspective to the Denver Nuggets landscape and the Denver sports landscape with a revolving conversation around all of Colorado sports teams along with the trending topics across the world of sports. They've been talking a bunch of basketball lately, deservedly so. Those guys know what they're talking about. AP and Cody, they're doing great stuff. You can make sure to stream Afternoon Drive with AP and Rourke on Mile High Sports mobile app, milehighsports.com, or listen on the radio, 98.1 FM or 107.5 HD3. Did you miss an episode? No worries. Just make sure to search Afternoon Drive with Anilo and Cody wherever you get your podcast. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Second pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. Make sure to give this a like if you can. All right, let's discuss Michael Malone. This is going to be a Michael Malone appreciation segment. And look, I understand that if you are if you are a Malone hater, I get it. I understand. He isn't for everybody. He isn't for that. Why are there Lakers fans in the comments right now? What's going on, guys? What are you doing? Stop this. Um, I understand why people don't like Michael Malone. Sometimes it feels like he blows a gasket a little bit too much. Sometimes it feels like he's a little bit too emotional. Or he could be overreactionary. Or maybe he doesn't change things well enough or he gets set in his own ways with the rotations or things like that. I understand these things. I do. But when you step back and you try to look at the bigger picture, think about where Michael Malone is right now. Think about what he's doing and how he has handled this moment. Denver's 12-3 and in these playoffs. They have the best player in the world. 
That helps. They have one of the best second options in the NBA now. That helps too. But Malone is also doing it. And he's doing it because he's been around. He doesn't have a lot of the same questions about what buttons he needs to push. Whether he can handle the moments. Whether he can handle the pressure. Like, there's a lot of folks that if you are, let's say you're the Boston Celtics with Joe Mazzulla. There's been a lot of criticism of Joe Mazzulla for obvious reasons. He hasn't necessarily handled the spotlight well. And he hasn't, like, he has some high-profile mishaps where that just just goes away. Um, I do. I do think that Denver has lucked out with Malone. He's not perfect. No coaches. Like, Phil Jackson is a weirdo. Steve Kerr, I think he can be a little bit too patient sometimes. Sometimes he, he isn't reacting enough. Um, Eric Spolstra, he, he's as close to perfect as we're going to get, if we're being honest. But he also just, like, he commands a lot of respect with, with Miami because he's been there over time. They've developed a culture there. And I think you could say a lot about what's happened with Denver and why Michael Malone is, is being as successful as he is. Fourth longest tenured coach. It's his eighth eighth season. He's been with Jokic for the entire time. And think back to what happened before he got here. 30 wins in the 2014-15 season. Denver had to go to, uh, they were at Brian Shaw, the interim coach of Melvin Hunt. And they were either going to go with Mike D'Antoni or Michael Malone. That was the two most likely candidates. And they decided to go with Malone. And I think it was the right call. I think it was the right call for where they were, for what they needed to be, for what they wanted to do with this culture. They they needed to establish something. And with Jokic being as soft-spoken as he was for much of it, Denver needed a voice. And the voice was Malone's. And sometimes that gets repetitive. Sometimes it gets too much. Sometimes you need somebody else to step up. But nobody else was stepping up for a while. And Denver needed somebody who was willing and able to fill the void. And Michael Malone absolutely did that for a long, long time. And then you started to see some of the the X's and O's stuff. Think back to the 2019 season. Denver wins 54 games that year. And they go to the uh, they go to the playoffs. First three games, you go back to the starting lineup that you'd plan to for the entire season. Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Paul Millsap, and Nikola Jokic. Barton wanted to do right by him. Coming off of that injury, the, the groin injury, I believe, that he had, you wanted to be able to do right by him, but it was clearly not working. And rather than stick with it for too long, Michael Malone decides, hey, it might be 2-1, but we're not winning with this lineup. So I need to make a change. I could either bench Jamal Murray or Gary Harris or Will Barton. And it was pretty clear that Will Barton was the guy that you had to go with. And they insert Torrey Craig and they win that series as a result. Basically because of that. Because Torrey Craig gave another big body that DeMar DeRozan had to go through. Uh, Gary Harris then slid over to Derek White and Jamal Murray 
was able to save some for the offensive end rather than having to chase around somebody that was uh, really good at that point. Jamal's made a lot of progress. Think about what I just said. He couldn't handle Derek White at one point, and so they needed somebody else to, to step up. Jamal, now, you can, you can put him on pretty much everybody that you need to outside of the, the star class, and, and he'll be just fine. Um, but Malone makes those changes. Malone also did some great stuff in the Portland Trailblazer series and helped get that team motivated and keep them motivated in situations where you lose a four-overtime game and your natural reaction is to say, oh, you're done. You can't, you can't survive anything like that. And then Denver comes back and wins game four immediately after losing that four-overtime game. And they did it on the road. And that shows a lot of maturity. That shows a lot of uh, willingness to put it all out there for your coach and for your team. And Malone was able to coax that out of them. Fast forward to the bubble. Made a lot of changes necessary within that starting lineup, within that rotation, in order to maximize what the team needed. He trusted Michael Porter in that situation, too. Did you guys know that Michael Porter, I believe, averaged the fourth most minutes in the playoffs that series? That's crazy, right? Like That's a crazy number. I believe it was Jokic and Murray, then Jeremy Grant, then Michael Porter. I could be wrong. Maybe Gary Harris was above him. I don't think that Paul Millsap was above him, though. I think that Denver knew that they needed that uh, mobility. They needed that spacing. They needed that oomph. And that was Michael Porter as a rookie. Think about where he was at that point versus where he is now. And think about the journey that Michael Malone has put Michael Porter on over the course of these last three years. It's been incredible to watch. And he's turned himself into a fantastic, fantastic all-around player. Denver has needed Michael Malone to be able to do this. And they needed him to get through a lot of their other times in 2021 and 2022. He's been able to do that for sure. Now, you've got a roster full of Malone guys. They traded Bones. I don't know if Thomas Bryant is a Malone guy, but we'll see. Well, maybe maybe that changes after the season. Maybe they could try to revisit that. I, I doubt it, but, you know, who, who knows? We'll see. And I'm, I'm not sure if Reggie Jackson is a Malone guy, but he's been willing to try it. He's been willing to figure out and kind of tinker and test. But ultimately, Denver added various players. KCP, Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, Jeff Green. Those guys are clearly Michael Malone guys. Aaron Gordon, I think, has turned into a Michael Malone guy, a toughness kind of guy, a cerebral, tough uh, athlete, somebody who could do a lot of different things for Michael Malone. And he's done it. And Michael Malone has helped kind of put all the pieces together here. Calvin Booth deserves a ton of credit for getting those pieces in the door. But Michael Malone and, and Nikola Jokic especially, those guys deserve a ton of credit for being able to put this thing together and make everything blend. And Malone is the guy that often gets forgotten in that conversation because when you're coaching the best player in the world, especially somebody as cerebral and as impactful as a guy like Jokic, a lot of times the rug gets pulled out from under you on how much impact you're actually having. Malone has had impact on Jokic. Malone has had impact on Murray. Malone has had impact on the entire rest of the team. Does he deserve the lion's share of the credit? No, I'm not going to sit here and say that. 
does Denver have a championship culture in part because of what Michael Malone's done? Absolutely. And it is really important to remember that. Really, really important. Because there are a lot of folks that are questioning whether Michael Malone could handle what he's done. A lot of folks could questioning whether he deserved to be here. I know there's a, a very high-profile voice in Nuggets, not Nuggets Media, in Denver Media, that has called him Teflon Mike and done crazy shit for a long time. And Malone doesn't deserve that. Malone's been along this ride and as much a part of the ethos as everybody and deserves a ton of credit for his ability to contribute to that and to shape that into what it is now. He's been great. You haven't heard any rotation questions from me. You haven't heard, like, I'm the rotation guy. I would know. I know what he's doing. And he's found his guys. And he's going short. And he's under, it's very much a, a collaborative process with his guys that he believes in. But if you find an eight-man rotation that you never really have to deviate from in the playoffs, the very first time you're really deviating is, what, game four? Of the Western Conference Finals? That's insanity. That's crazy. You should never do that. Or never be able to do that. It is a pleasure to be able to do that. And Michael Malone's been able to do it. He's been able to make it work, even in those non-Jokic minutes. He deserves a ton of credit for that. For shaping a game plan that works in those moments. Because not everybody can do that. I know that he's had a lot of criticism for how he's handled the non-Jokic minutes in the past. Maybe it's all been setting up for this moment. Maybe he deserves more credit than that. So, either way, it is really cool to see him take advantage of this. It's really cool to see what he's been able to do. And I think that a championship, if it were to happen, he's going to have, like, the, the job's not done. Not done at all, by, by any stretch. But so many of those long-tenured coaches need a championship in order to be validated. Whether it's um, Kerr back in the day, Spolstra when he he took over for – gosh, who did he take over for? I don't even remember. Uh, But when he took over and and was a part of that big three uh, in Miami, he had so much pressure. And then got through it and ultimately got it done. Think about all these coaches. Would Greg Popovich have the same level of intrigue if he didn't latch on to Tim Duncan? Would Eric Spolstra have the same level of connection if he didn't latch on to Dwayne Wade and LeBron James at the beginning? I'm surprised that they stuck with him. But they did shows a lot of like a lot of character, even when uh, even when, when those stars actually left. But you could say the same thing about Steve Kerr and, and Stephen Curry. Like, absolutely. Coaches and stars are going to be paired for until the end of time. Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson. Like, that's just how it is. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Although Tom Brady was able to do it elsewhere. It does feel to me like people give so much credit to Jokic that they forget about Malone in this situation. But he is a part of this. and He, he has a significant role to play. And if he's able to get a championship with that... And he might see, solidifies himself immediately as the best Denver Nuggets coach in franchise history. Like, bar none. I'm sorry to Doug Moe. I'm sorry to uh, any other, like George Carl, like any of those guys. It's not close. Like, if you're able to get it done, you are the guy now. You are the guy. Like, that's just how it is. 
and he deserves a ton of credit for being able to stick with this, for being able to, I think, keep himself in check because he's as emotional as he is. He's tapered things down over the course of his tenure rather than ratcheting them up. And he has molded his personality to fit what this team needs. And they didn't need him to be rah-rah. They needed him to be somebody who's a motivator, somebody who's calm, somebody who doesn't panic. He's done exactly those things. He's been the perfect complement to what this team has needed. And it's really cool to see. Really, really cool. I appreciate Malone. I appreciate what he's been able to do. And he's a guy that's obviously going to go under the radar and all of this. But like I said, deserves credit, deserves the ability to at least have somebody to come to his defense because too many people will criticize him and is what it is. All right. Well, folks, I appreciate you all for hopping in. Uh, Michael, can you hit that outro music for us? Everybody, that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. Brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I appreciate all the love and support. As always, uh, always makes a difference uh, when you hop in with me. Uh, get a good conversation, even if some of that conversation... Sorry, that, that music sounded a little bit weird in my ears. Uh, but really appreciate the, the live chat bumping as much as it does, even when a Lakers fan comes into, into here and decides to cause some chaos. But is what it is. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. As always, uh, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow after Celtics Eat.